The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit trying to digitize your cat and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 281 with guest Dino Esposito, recorded live Monday, October 8th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com and by Developer Express crafting first class tools, frameworks and controls for the .NET developer improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com support is also provided by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers online at www.code-magazine.com and now, the man who defines profanity as the language understood by all programmers, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, Lawrence, and welcome back, boys and girls, to Dotnet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. I'm here. Richard's here. It's a party. It always is. Hey, you know what's happening in the background for me? Uh, you're rebuilding an array? Four and a half terabytes, baby. Is that what that noise is? That's what that noise is. <laughs> like, I can hear it over the phone. But, you know, I, I think we're going to change the um, the tagline of .NET Rocks from the Internet Audio Talk Show for .NET Developers to The Cure for the Common Commute. Oh, nice. You like that? Yeah, I like uh, that a lot. Maybe that's Mondays. Maybe that is Mondays. Speaking of Mondays, we did a really funny Mondays this week. Yeah, if your humor tends towards the more juvenile, well, unrestrained <laughs> Monty Python style. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Except less intelligent, perhaps. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. All right. I do know. On to Better Know Framework. Excellent. <laughs> The Better Know Framework class today is system.globalization.cultureinfo. Oh. Yeah. And CultureInfo is one of those uh, tools that helps you format currencies and dates 
for whatever culture you want to target. Oh, right. Because depending on where you are, the order, year, month, day, all that stuff changes. Right. Plus, uh, do you have a comma or a decimal place? What kind of symbol do you have around the money? Exactly. All All those preferences that go along with being French, for example. And, I'm not even uh, going to touch that one. Okay. <laughs> so the constructor takes the culture name in the format language code dash country or region code, in which language code is the lowercase two-letter code derived from ISO 639 stroke one. Right. So EN for English. EN for English, FR for France, et cetera. For French, yeah. French, rather. Uh, country is the uppercase two-letter code derived from ISO 3166. So like U.S. for English. Yeah, or, uh, or, or you, C.A. Yeah, C.A. for Canada. Or you could use the region code, uh, which is a three-letter code derived from ISO the stroke 639 stroke 2. <laughs> I love these ISO codes. And region code is used when country is not available. So, for example, EN, lowercase EN dash U.S. English, lowercase EN dash C.A. Canada, lowercase J.A. Uh, slash JP for Japan, et cetera. And if you look in the documentation, there's a big, big old honking list of them. So, and uh, basically what you do is once you create with the constructor a new culture info, then you assign that to the current thread. Oh. System.threading.thread.currentthread.currentculture and set that equal to the culture info. And then... When you pull out, you know, uh, date time dot now dot two string D, for example, lowercase or uppercase D for a date, you'll get the right date format. And if you do a two string with a C character for currency on a decimal, for example, that'll convert that to the right currency value. That's pretty that cool. Culture. I like that it's attached to the thread so you don't have to think about it again. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's sort of where it lives. It lives on this thread. That's interesting. Yep. Pretty cool. So there you go. The Better Know Framework class for the week. Nice one. So you got an email for us, Richard. I certainly do. Let me leave this. I like this one because it starts like this. Hi, Richard and Carl. I think I I like that order a lot. (laughs) 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 I'm just reading the words, man. I'm just saying. (laughs) I enjoyed your most recent show with Ken Getz talking about VSTO. You seem to be having difficulty thinking of a Windows desktop database that could cope with multi-user access without access as problems of sluggish performance and database lockout. Actually, if I recall, we had a problem thinking of anything (laughs) on that show. It was an interesting show. That was sort of the end of the day. We kind of got a little silly show. But we went all over the place. Yeah. After your comments about the Fox Pro Knitting Guild, uh-huh. I felt I had to write and remind you that Microsoft's Visual Here Fox Pro easily handles multi-user access Here comes. with tables up to two gigabytes in size oh, boy. and no practical limit on overall database size. Yahoo. Best of all, tables almost never become corrupt. <sighs> couldn't say that about indexes until VFP9. It's yeah. a shame VFP was dropped from Visual Studio and the decision made not to .net it. But hey, now with Link, it might not be such a bad thing. Don't tell anyone I said that as I'll be thrown out of the knitting guild. What's wrong with SQL Server Express uh, yeah. or whatever the heck they call it now? Desktop Express, little micro framework. What the heck is the name of SQL Server for the desktop <laughs> now? Diehard VFP programmers are a very anti.net, which is a shame. Roll on the final service pack. Yes, there really is still a service pack to come. They're anti.net, but they're obviously listening to the show. Go Apparently. figure. Well, a few of them anyway. Yeah. 
By the way, I almost fell off the treadmill with your split BLT jokes. <laughs> Between my Fox Pro Knitting Gill wool bag and now apparently random laughter, the guys in the gym think I'm weird. Yeah. Thanks, .NET Rocks, and keep <laughs> up the great show. That's actually an old joke. I got a lot of mileage out of that one. <laughs> kind regards, Alan Milne from Aberdeen, Scotland. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Alan. Alan. Yeah. I think uh, a .NET Rocks mug. You know, we've sort of been lackadaisical about getting swag out to people, and I just want to make a blanket apology for everyone who, you know, we, we like to say, yeah, we'll send you a mug, and then we forget about you. So apparently that's been our MO. So I don't know, Richard. You have records of all the emails that— I uh, do, and we're straightening it out right away. Right. We've already started the process of engaging some of these guys. So, But if uh, you haven't heard from us recently, and we did promise you some swag— Send an email to Richard. Yep, blame me. <laughs> Richard at pwop.com. <laughs> All right, and uh, let's get to the contest here, the Barcelona contest, if you're interested in winning a brain bag this week. The best laptop week. bag in the world. The best laptop bag in the world from Tom Bin at Tom Bin, that's B-I-H-N.com. Uh, and getting in the running for winning one of two uh, 24-inch Dell LCD monitors, which we're And gonna... we will ship them anywhere in the world. Anywhere so in the world. you don't have to be shy. If you're listening to the show, enter the contest. You can win. To enter the contest, you go to .netrocks.com slash Barcelona. The first time that you uh, enter, we're going to ask you a couple of questions about, you know, what you do and all that stuff for the demographic database. And then uh, we're going to uh, ask you every week to, to answer a question. And from the right answers we get, we pick every week a winner to give away a brain bag. And then the winners of those weekly contests go in the pool to win one of two LCD monitors from Dell, 24 inches, as I said. And that drawing is going to be done on October 30th. Now, last week's question was, what somewhat old-fashioned car part did Eli Lopian use as a metaphor for a component that might require isolation when diagnosing a problem? Ah, yes. Let me think. Was that a carburetor? That was a carburetor. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, somewhat old-fashioned. Somewhat old-fashioned, because you're a fuel injection kind of guy, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, well, you know, that fuel injection sort of took over there in the 80s. <laughs> we haven't looked back since, or smelled back, maybe I should say. Nice. Who's our winner? They had a tendency to smell, didn't they? All right, well, the winner is Mark Whitelock. Mark, Whitelock? Mark Whitelock from the UK. Nice. I love the name of his... Uh, his uh, uh, you know, county, which is Tyne and Ware, T-Y-N-E and Ware. He's from Tyne and Ware, UK. Awesome. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so congratulations, Mark. You win a brain bag. And uh, the new question for this week's show, uh, both of these shows this week, is, and uh, I believe it comes from this show right here. Right. What ancient technology does Dino Esposito compare Silverlight 1.0 to? Ancient so technology. That should drop be into the .NET Rocks website. You don't have to be attending Barcelona Tech Ed, although it would be nice if you were. Right. Anybody can enter anywhere in the world, answer the question right, win a brain bag. Yep. And uh, the, speaking of that interview, this was an interview we're just sort of introing here because we did this one already in Bulgaria. Dino Esposito right. was in Bulgaria a couple weeks ago when we were there, and uh, we cornered him in a room and uh, gave him a microphone, and we talked about Ajax, and that's what you're going to hear right now. Awesome. 
Uh, Richard and I are here with Dino Esposito. Hi, Richard. Hi there. And uh, Dino has been on the show many times before. Well, a couple of times anyway, but very early on you were on the show. Hello, everybody, first. Hi. And it was, um, I think it was uh, three, four, five, maybe five, no, five, four years ago. Four years ago, yeah. Four years ago, yeah, 2003 or so. It's right at the beginning when Mark Dunn was the co-host. Yeah. Yeah. And you got stuck in this trivia trap of being the guy who doesn't like barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Such a heinous crime. I mean. It was a crime, yes. (laughs) It was was a crime. (laughs) It's a terrible thing to do to meat. But actually, you know the story briefly. It's um, I was on the honeymoon, '95, uh, in uh, Washington D.C. Right, and I saw so many people around the White House eating that kind of colorful stuff, you know, the sandwich. And I said, okay, I want to try that. My wife right. said, it's not for you. I feel it's not for you. No, I want to try that. I want to try that. Okay, I got it. First bite, oh my God. What have I, I done? Have, oh my God, I cannot have this. But uh, before just throwing it away, I said, no, 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 no. no. I have to go ahead. I have to, 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 to understand. And maybe at the end of the story, I will really, really like it. After the third bite, I had to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> so when I met Mark Dunn, it was in Alabama, I think, right. uh, in 2003 for the interview. Uh, we met outside uh, the, my hotel. He said, I, have to, I want to bring you to, out to dinner. I want to, to make you taste uh, one of the specialties of this area. It's called barbecue. But that, the, the most important part of the story is that I didn't know the name of the stuff I had ah. in, oh, in, in Washington, D.C. Right. I remember the face of the stuff, you know, yeah. and the look but not the name so he said barbecue sounded promising to me so we have went to the restaurant and I was served I, said, oh my, I, I know this <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I, said, I know this please take it away <laughs> so funny well I don't know if you know this but every time your name has come up on the show since in conversation we would say oh if you ever see Dino take him out for barbecue he loves it <laughs> Well, anyway, you are the author of several large books on ASP.net. What's what's the biggest book that you've written in terms of pages? It's over a thousand pages, isn't it? In the single book uh, was uh, 1,200 or so, but it was on the, the book on ASP.net 1.1. But um, for ASP.net 2.0, Microsoft Press asked me to split content in two. Wow. So if we if you if you sum up the pages of both books, the core reference book and the advanced topics book, uh, we are they are approximately eight hundred each, so we are sixteen hundred or so. Good lord. You're you're writing in volumes now. <laughs> writing in volumes. Yeah. You really love to write, it's obvious. <laughs> It's my main activity. I don't do yeah. much consulting. Uh, most, of the, most, most that I do is uh, writing, mm-hmm. number one, and then training speaking. Well, we see you all over the world speaking in various exactly. places. Exactly. You, you, you won't see me in Italy or any other part of the world doing much consulting. No. <laughs> yeah. Don't, we don't ever work at home. We only see each other abroad in some strange Absolutely, country. Yeah. And you'll be at Dev Connections uh, in November, right? I'll be at Dev Connections, yes, and I'll be pretty, pretty much uh, busy there. Uh, just to uh, the, the latest news, late breaking news that I've been added, uh, I won an extra workshop, a pre-con workshop on Ajax development. Uh, so. Anybody? Well, congratulations. Oh, thank yeah. you. I, won. That, yeah, I yeah. bet and I won. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, here in Bulgaria, you've been talking about Ajax extensively. It seems to be the topic uh, du jour for you. You've really put a lot of energy and time into understanding what Microsoft's done with Ajax. Yes, Ajax um, is um, is my favorite topic, of course, at the moment, uh, professionally and uh, also in terms of, uh, of, of interest. And um, together with a particular phase of it, a particular aspect of it, architecture of web applications where AJAX is involved. Right. Because I feel that in general in general terms that a, why AJAX is so important, so cool to people, so many people in the industry, so many companies, uh, Microsoft, uh, based on Microsoft platform and also outside of that, uh, based on Google, Java, Linux, whatever, everywhere in the world of industry and software are so interested in AJAX. Uh, because AJAX represents a shift of paradigm. Really? For, yeah, for and, web applications. And, and, I mean, I think the term's almost overused now. Yes, but the, 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 w- just try asking why is so used and so many people are interested. Yes. The, the point is that for years, starting in 93, 94... Yeah, the beginning saw, of the public internet. Exactly, yeah, the public internet. I, I think I, I saw the first version of Mosaic, or, or was it Netscape? It was 94. 94, exactly, yeah, was 94. Netscape really took it was off. Net, exactly, it was Netscape, yeah. yes, correct. It was Netscape 94. So web apps uh, started uh, more, uh, almost 15 years ago. Right. And uh, we are still using the same tools and the same patterns developed 15 years ago for a type of web that is totally different now. Because the HTML page was designed to be a document with uh, just a, a few, a few um, lines of text right. and especially links. Yeah, it was all about the links. This exactly, is, this it was, all was about what links. Tim Berners-Lee was to, focused to, to, on. Today, basically, is, what you're saying is it's been synchronous for 15 years, and now we finally have the ability to, to, to split to, up the page exactly and, yeah. and, and become asynchronous. Okay, mm. so the the, the the change. But what I mean by the change of paradigm, I mean that for years we've been uh, updating, we've been building web applications according to the the pattern that we request. We submit a form with all of its input content, to receive a new page to replace the old one. Right. Okay? Yeah, that's in the iteration. Exactly. Now, with Ajax, we are shifting towards a model where we submit input data to receive output data. And not necessarily forms as input, not necessarily a page as output. And the, the page sort of remains stable. It's just elements of it that exactly. change. Exactly. We are, we are shifting towards a, a, a user interface interaction model that, is, uh, that has been in use for decades. And Your Windows. basic client-server. A visual, yeah. exactly, client-server approach. That, uh, I like to call it action-reaction, but the visual basic model of writing software. Right. So you have uh, elements of UI. The user interacts, clicking, selecting, uh, dropping and down, dropping dragging and dropping elements, something happens, an event is triggered, some background code, either local or remote, it doesn't matter, it's not really important, runs to produce a result, and the result is then automatically, smoothly integrated, fused to the existing right. and stable user interface. If you, if you take this model and you compare it to the web of today, even the, the most uh, sophisticated uh, web applications and portals of today, you see that the, in the model of interaction in the web before Ajax is a whole step backwards. You know, it's, it's decades sure. ago. It's the terminal screen. 
the terminal yeah. screen, exactly. In the Windows, in the desktop applications, we, we moved away from the today's web model when we left the mainframes. Right, right. <laughs> they were called masks. We call on the web, we, we call it forms, but the concept is exactly the same. Now, when we, when we say Ajax, we're really talking about Ajax with a lowercase a, right? I mean, you know, there's so many implementations of asynchronous JavaScript and XML that... You know, what are we really talking about? There's, there are third-party tools. Microsoft has a tool. The Microsoft had a tool before they had the tool that they have now. And then you've got, you know, Telerik has got their stuff. And there are, so have you looked at all of these different uh, architectures and, you know, pointed to some that you really like over others? Or yes. did you, have you mostly stuck with the Microsoft tools? No, I, I, I tried to, okay, for, for, because I'm... I, I make money out of Microsoft, right. or the Microsoft platform. Uh, my interest is mostly related to Microsoft, but certainly I had a look at, uh, for the little consulting I do, I had a, a look at other proposals. But I think that more in general, uh, for Ajax, with uh, whatever case you use for, 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 writing, for writing it, uh, there is just one overall model of architecture where you have a front-end, and then you have a backend for Ajax, and the back, the Ajax backend is a kind of service layer on top of your traditional middle tier and data access layer. So uh, if you want to extend, uh, say if you want to, to design a system for Ajax, you just start building the backend, middle tier, and uh, uh, data access layer as usual, and then you just put on top of the middle tier a service facade, a service layer, uh, for where you provide endpoints for specific for, for the Ajax client. And then uh, the front end is web pages designed in some way. And the communication between the front end and the Ajax backend happens through H over HTTP, of course, but using uh, in, as the body of the packets JSON objects. So this is the model. This is the architecture. This is ju just one type of architecture. But there's been different implementations on the client side. Like, for example, there are some third-party tools that they took the, cla the control classes of ASP.NET and used them as base classes and then put their own AJAX stuff right into the controls versus the Microsoft approach, which is you know to use a container and to, to sort of bolt on the AJAX stuff on top of the existing controls. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the evil is in the detail because this is the overall architecture right. and, it, and it's the same uh, whatever platform you look at. More in detail, there are so many implementations and probably uh, there are common problems and uncommon answers and different answers. Uh, you, you were mentioning uh, the, um, the, the most common, which are the most common uh, solutions you, you might want to, you, you might feel to, to suggest or to, to consider at least. Um, well, the pure Ajax idea is of run using a programming language on the client uh, to do any stuff you, you need to, to accomplish on the client. So typically you define controls uh, either in declarative HTML or creating you create them dynamically using local JavaScript, client-side JavaScript. Then you attach handlers uh, to the events of this uh, HTML-ish elements and then at that point uh, you, you, you start talking to, connecting to remote services in your service layer over HTTP uh, endpoints, and you get data back and forward using JSON serialization. 
the real problem, and this is also an aspect that is pretty common to um, most implementations. The real difference is in how you build the user interface once you have been able to bring back on the client the data. Right, which gets to the details of the implementation. Exactly, of these tools, and right? exactly. This is the problem, and there are so many answers. You mentioned Telerik, uh, uh, but more in general, you, you can use, uh, as far as SP.NET is concerned, you can use uh, a custom uh, library of controls from many vendors. So Telerik is one of the most important, but also Component Art, also Infragistics. But in particular, I'd like to focus a little bit more on Telerik versus Component Art. Uh, they do use. Uh, um, a different approach to, to, the, to the problem. Uh, whereas uh, Telerik uh, gives you uh, enhanced versions of ASP.NET server controls, then these controls are designed to go back to the server autonomously and bring back updated markup. So it's inside of these controls that you have AJAX implemented. Then these controls work great with partial rendering, but uh, the, the idea of Telerik is going back to the server, pre-generate the markup for the client on the server, and then just serve the markup to the client. So the computational work is still taking place on the server. Exactly, exactly. This is the point. The other perspective is, and then represented by uh, component art uh, products, uh, is uh, that you do most of the stuff on the client. So you build the user interface entirely on the client. You connect to your service layer explicitly. Just for data. Just for data. You receive only data, no template, no markup, just raw data represented, right. serialized through JSON objects. And then the control, the, the, the client-side uh, counterpart of your grid control, battle control, whatever it is, uh, takes, takes care of uh, deserializing the JSON stuff and building up dynamically the UI. I guess that's a sort of a, you know, the representing the thought that we have these big honking machines on the client that sit at 2% CPU utilization most of the time. Why don't we use them a little bit more? Yeah, the, 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 this is the, the, the problem. So how effective is the generation of the, the, the process of generating the user interface? But there is also, okay, uh, a component, the, the component hard product requires a kind of 200 kilobytes of JavaScript stuff only for, for their own library. Um, so it has a slower load time, probably. This is the problem. So how slow or how fast, if you want to put it from, from the other perspective. Uh, certainly, we, we, this goes beyond, the, I think, the solution that uh, Telerik, uh, rather than uh, Component Art, can bring to the table. It goes fa deeper to the language, to the power of the language we can leverage. So the point is JavaScript. Yes, and, and that's and exactly that's, what I was thinking is, boy, depending on JavaScript is always a challenge. Just, uh, my machine may have a ton of horsepower, but I'm depending on how good is the JavaScript parser of the browser I'm using at the time, knowing every JavaScript parser, version to version in the same browser, much less other browsers, is different. Yes, you, you are exposed to uh, the possible memory leaks or bugs uh, in the JavaScript implementation for a particular browser. Right. You are exposed to your own memory leaks and uh, programming mistakes uh, or the, 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 the same stuff you, you can inherit or you can buy from, yeah. from a vendor which without offense, any offense intended for, for any vendor in the industry, of course. No, but... We're you all know, developers, we know. But the bottom line is we are exposed to the issues exactly. of their code. And 
it's a very challenging thing to try and build a, a set of libraries that are going to work across all of those browsers, all of those potential platforms the same. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerik Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. But there's another subtle aspect. You are also exposed to uh, the, the kind of war. DOM versus the, the, the HTML. Right. Yeah, because the DOM, the document object model as ratified by the W3C committee, is uh, the official uh, document object model that uh, browser should comply with in order to be standard and to provide a common use, uh, programming interface for representing the contents of a page. Right. But you know that DOM was... Uh, the, the creation, the standardization of the DOM was uh, triggered by by Microsoft, which uh, introduced a dynamic HTML way back. Dynamic HTML, for some aspects, is a, a faster and more direct, faster and more direct model than the DOM has ratified by W3C. But not all browsers include the same subset of the HTML to extend their own right. DOM. And therein lies the rub. <laughs> So if you, if, you, if you Google for inner HTML, you see, you form immediately an idea that everybody agrees for whatever, whatever is the, their background or their perspective, their ideas about Microsoft or about uh, Linux or uh, whatever they are, their religion, whatever their religion is, <laughs> you know, everybody agrees that inner HTML is way faster then uh, updating a page, a portion of the page using inner HTML is way faster than doing the same using the DOM. Yes. Thankfully, I think nearly all browsers uh, support inner HTML, which is not part of DOM. Yeah. Uh, Although it's any, been around any, any, for any, years. Anyway, but there are other aspects of the HTML uh, that you find in uh, Internet Explorer, maybe in Firefox, but not perhaps in Opera or, or the way around. Or somewhere else, yeah, in Safari. Yeah. Safari, yes. Yeah. But if you take a look at the, the Microsoft JavaScript code for, uh, for the client library, it's, uh, it, it's full of, if uh, Safari yeah. do this, else do this, else. So you've, you've talked about a couple of different architect, uh, architectures of implementations of Ajax, especially on the client side. What, uh, what's your favorite? I mean, what works best for you? 
or I, I is don't like no, I don't like having to uh, use is it not much. black and white <laughs> no it's not black and white absolutely it's not black and white and in general I don't particularly like the idea of having I would love to have a lot of JavaScript uh, to have a client side object model that allows me to uh, do all the things I need to do directly on the client with correct and appropriate connections to the server but I don't trust JavaScript yeah. being the mean by means which you 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 implement, you get to this. But the, talking about the new paradigm, going to real client server in a web world means processing on the client, and that means JavaScript. Exactly, but I don't like JavaScript. I don't like the power that JavaScript can provide uh, today. So uh, if uh, I have to be pragmatic and I have to work with the tools and the products that are out today. Uh, what's uh, the second of October? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, today, the second of October, oh, it's what time going is it? to change. <laughs> <laughs> what, what time is it? <laughs> okay, no, let's stop to the to the day anyway. <laughs> but if I have to be pragmatic, uh, I really have to say that I do love the Microsoft uh, uh, approach to the Ajaxification of pages that passes through something called partial rendering. Right. Partial rendering is not, architecturally speaking, pure AJAX, because if AJAX is, uh, uh, implies um, a change, a shift of paradigm, with partial rendering, you are not getting any of this. Tell us what it is. Tell us what partial rendering partial is. Partial rendering uh, consists in a very smart trick uh, that is performed by some, some JavaScript code that Microsoft, uh, that Microsoft the, the Microsoft library injects in client pages that basically hooks up any form submission and instead of going through the browser, performs the same using XML HTTP request. So it's a way of bypassing the form submission uh, in such a way any postback occurs not browser-led but code-led. Uh, the code is the code that Microsoft has uh, incorporated in their own ASP.NET AJAX platform. So if you, if you want to put it in terms of patterns, is an implementation of the interceptor pattern. So basically, basically, where basically you have a piece of code that hooks up the submit event of the form, and whenever the page is going to submit its content to the page, this piece of code kicks in and takes control of the operation and performs the operation by sending exactly or kind of the same uh, yeah, HTTP packet I'm back. I thinking it's still actually a post exactly, a, a, it's still in HTTP actually language. Post, it's still actually a post packet that includes, for example, view state. Right. Uh, on the server, you still have a, uh, the, the regular uh, life cycle with page init, page load, page pre-render right. events. Uh, you still have uh, the post back being handled. You still have the view state deserialized and serialized. E everything happens as usual except the rendering stage when the markup for being for, for, for the client is being generated. So in this case, only the markup that pertains to uh, the, the, the region of the page that uh, triggered uh, the post back is being sent so the, the stuff that's coming back from the web server, the web server technically doesn't know I'm doing a partial rendering, really. It's still going to send me an HTTP header, HTML tags, body tags, and all that good stuff. It's just that it's arriving in the context of code in the browser, which is then tearing all that away, taking only that inner bit that it needs to render the partial piece of the page. There are two, two components, uh, one client, one server that uh, collaborate uh, to cooperate to, to obtain this. Uh, on the client, uh, you have um, 
Java, the JavaScript code that performs an asynchronous call via XML HTTP request. Right. Asynchronous because it first sends a request with a particular packet format, and then there is a callback that receives the response, ex parses the response, and then using inner HTML uh, and the DOM the updates only the portions of the page that needs to be right. updated. Uh, on the server, there is a control, a new control uh, called the script manager that works together with the update panel, the two controls, new controls that you have to learn uh, to implement AJAX with ASP.NET that basically uh, um, subclasses, uh, changes the algorithm uh, by means of which the markup is generated on the server. So instead of looping through all controls in the page, starting at the root of the page, it generates the markup looping from the controls that are contained in the subtree that you want to uh, refresh. What it sounds like to me is uh, an old technology which is using the action uh, part of the form tag to specify a hidden iframe where data comes back from your post back and then from that iframe you use JavaScript to set the data of you know whatever it is that you're doing which is you know sort of a, tr a browser trick that was uh, not really all that well implemented. It's a browser trick, absolutely. It's well, not browser. It's a um, it, 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 it's a JavaScript trick, uh, and it's only that. Uh, but this is logical. all about avoiding letting the browser exactly re-render. It's just the page. a way of bypassing the browsers, but the, uh, the, the the things, the actions performed are exactly the same as in ASP.NET 2.0, 1 1.0, uh, 1.1, or whatever. Um, you mentioned iframe. Uh, logically, abstractly speaking, you're totally right. Uh, technically speaking, it's not in, not an iframe. Yeah, it's didn't, being used didn't work. exactly by by what way. And I, you know, the upside to this whole mechanism is since we're not re-rendering the whole page, I don't have to keep downloading that 200k of JavaScript that makes all this work. It's still sitting there. I'm still running in the context of the same page. I'm just refreshing elements of it. In fact, I can refresh almost the entire thing, but still be in the container that is that base page that has those underlying libraries. Yes. Um, the, the, the libraries required for this job are downloaded once and they are cached. Right. And uh, So even you, if you do go from page to page, you're not re-downloading it anyway. It's cached. Exactly. You're not re-downloading any. Exactly. You're only... Downloading what has changed the delta between the, the current and the expected right. page. Um, but but uh, this poses, anyway, a problem. Because partial rendering is great for, for a number of reasons. Number one, because it's easy to understand. Yeah, and you can and it allows you to leverage your existing skills. You're, you're already using most of the mechanism. You're using all the same things you were always. You using. basically don't need to learn new things. Right. It's just subclassing that whole behavior. Exactly. To give you, you only have to, to 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 get familiar with a couple of new controls like the script manager or the update panel, but they are not rocket science. Just no. regular controls. You have to learn. You're a developer, so it's really brilliant. Them. Actually, it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> um, in terms of performance. Uh, on the way to the server, so when the request is made, uh, you have uh, a few more bytes, non-kilobytes, just bytes, right. because the request contains one extra parameter. So it can be 10, 20 extra bytes, so on the way to the server. On the way back to the client, um, the, the response contains the portions, the markup for the portions, uh, the regions of the 
page, original page that have to be updated, plus the view state, plus hidden fields, plus any extra information, custom information you want to pass. All together, you, you, you save a percentage of the markup compared to the classic web to a that full can be 20, page. 30, even 50%. But if you have several update panels on a page and everything going at once, now, you, now you've got uh, multiple of, uh, of data over just having one single page refresh. But all considered, you, you rarely can do worse than with the, the, the 2.0 uh, <laughs> traditional web. And even when, even if the, the, the bandwidth occupied, the, the number of bytes you transfer over the wire is a sort of the same as in 2.0, you still, your users will still say a big thank you because they have much better experience. Right, of course. So this is the whole strength of Ajax is this the perceived rendering is so much faster because there's still it's not the whole page being redrawn. It's just these elements. There's no flickering. There's right. no 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 flashing. And especially action. when the controls are updating on different portions of the page seemingly simultaneously. Exactly. And uh, it's nice to, to mention that in the beginning uh, of Atlas, uh, the, uh, the, the, the code name for the very first version of, of my Ajax extensions from Microsoft, uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the feedback, the most interesting feedback that was brought back to Microsoft was, okay, but my users still don't realize that a portion of the page has been updated. So they keep on saying, they keep on clicking, keep on saying, and keep complaining, ah, but the grid right. is always the same. I purchase, click, click, click. purchase, 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 purchase. <laughs> because they're used to that trigger of the page going blank and re-rendering to let them know you pushed a button. So not, not, not by chain, not, not uh, just coincidentally, the, um, uh, not coincidentally, uh, one of the most interesting and beautiful uh, uh, extenders you find in the Ajax Control Toolkit, uh, so a, a, a joint venture between Microsoft and the community for generating uh, UI widgets for uh, Ajax pages, is an update panel extender, animation extender control that basically uh, uh, gives you a declarative way of adding some animation to regions that they can fade in and out just to give a visual clue right. to users that... A portion of the page has just changed. Yeah, that worked. It worked. Everything's fine. Relax. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Color coding. Yeah. <laughs> Color coding. It's amazing how many uh, almost subconscious cues that we're familiar with now around the way that the web works. Right, and there isn't it, there isn't really any standard cue now for for hey your your portion of your page just updated, but. Anyway, regardless of the solutions we can use uh, to, uh, to give visual clues of what portion of the page has changed, the fact that we have to worry about this is uh, one of the drawbacks of partial rendering. But I also think it's, I mean, at the same time, I'm thinking it's a good thing. This works well enough that it let confuses me, the me, users. Let me, let me share with you a couple of, let me discuss a couple of scenarios okay. where partial rendering just doesn't work. Oh, really? It uh, doesn't work. It uh, just doesn't work that easy. Okay. That easily. Imagine that you have uh, uh, a portion of the page where there's a grid, and the user is expected to page through the grid. But also you have another button in the same page that does a totally unrelated operation. It could be as uh, unrelated as just clicking the button to get the weather forecasts for uh, the city of Rome in the next week. Right. Okay? Unrelated operations. But if you have a, a page, if you implement that page using partial rendering all the way through, 
So everything is, you have different regions, but you use as the programming mechanism only partial rendering. So the user clicks to have a new page, to download a new page for the grid, so for a small portion of the page, and suppose it takes 10 seconds. Um, the user, at the, during the same operation, regardless of the feedback you can pop up, uh, the progress bars or stuff like that, right. just entertainment, you know, yeah. the user is still free by default to click on the button that will demonstrate, will, will, uh, will bring back, we download the weather forecasts. Right. But if they are, if both are partial rendering operations, the latest will kill. The earlier one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, ongoing. that is a problem. That's a, that's a big problem. Well, and, and not obvious. But it's an architectural problem. It's one of the key drawbacks of the partial rendering model, and it's entirely due to the fact that we are performing a smart, brilliant trick, but yet a trick. It is just a trick. Instead of having... Uh, of moving towards an Ajax architecture. Okay. What, what, what's the reason? The view state is the problem for this. Right, of course it is. Because the view state is inherently singular. There is just one sure. view state for the whole page. The right. view state cannot be broken in pieces. Right. By design. Yeah, you just can't. So, if you have a, a pending operation, the page is expecting a view state that represents the, the, the last known good state for the page. Right. If you start another concurrent operation, which one is the right view state to take into account? <laughs> so what you need to have is a view state for, oh my God, am I going to say this? For, every for each update for, for each update. But this will, will uh, definitely uh, require to rewrite a significant Absolutely. part right. of ASP.NET. And the whole strength of what we've done here with partial rendering is that I can retrofit it into a site. Pretty nicely. I could take an existing site with existing controls, slide these panels in, set the additional properties, and I'm off on an Ajax-like experience. I kind of like the uh, the architecture of Gaia. Have you seen Gaia? Which is a suite of uh, tools. We're, we're going to show them on DNR TV, too. Um, but they basically used all the ASP.NET controls as base classes and then extended them to do their the JavaScript on a per-control basis but they write their own JavaScript code. They do their own processing and handling and stuff. So you don't have to write any JavaScript to make them work. They just sort of operate independently of view state and of all of those other things. Uh, and it's a kind of a nice model. Nice model, but it's a model that you have to write yourself or buy from a third party. It's a, it is it's a third party product. It's not the model you get from Microsoft, you know. Correct. It is a third party product. That's but, you know, when we're talking architectures here, that's a pretty nice one. But still, I'm thinking that these are all retrofit techniques. If I have a chance to build from Ajax from scratch, am I going to approach this differently? Am I not going to bother with partial rendering? Mm, I want to, I'd like to quote Douglas Crockford. Is, uh, who's this guy? Who is that guy? <laughs> no, he's, um, currently is an architect at Yahoo. Okay. But he's, uh, more importantly, was a, a former creator of JSON. Right. So he's uh, one of the guys who knows uh, best his own stuff, you know, in, in this area. Uh, he said, uh, the, web re the web user reach experience, something like that, as a conference in San Jose, first week of September. Uh, he said that Ajax is great for uh, networking, for uh, building social apps, for a number of reasons, but building a pure Ajax applications is a damn hard thing. Because it's a must because, be a, a very different exactly. way to think. Uh, trying to abstract why we have, he, he said, that, and I totally agree, 
we have two main problems. One is the language on the client, so JavaScript. JavaScript. And the second problem is the application delivery format we do not have to render out the page as we want it. So we have a HTML, which is a kind of obsolete format. Yeah. And we have a JavaScript, which is kind of obsolete language for the amount of stuff we need to do on the client. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. All right, so Silverlight. Silverlight. Hey! <laughs> yeah, we, I feel like we've been walking slowly. You've been talking about code on the client and all these things. I'm like, gee, that's Silverlight. That's Silverlight. Okay. Uh, let me tell the first thing before we, we get to talk Silverlight. Um, my, it's my feeling, so uh, my good feeling. I, I could be wrong, so just just speculation, you know. I feel that Microsoft, at some point last summer, when they made the huge change between Atlas and the first beta of ASP.NET AJAX extensions, right? Uh, they, they 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 made some kind of decision, and they decided to point on Silverlight instead of uh, inventing creating a really powerful model for Ajax, pure Ajax applications. So you said, uh, what, would I, what should I do if I want to build a pure Ajax architecture? I don't know. The architecture is there, front-end, back-end with JSON in the middle. Right. Uh, on the Microsoft platform, we have uh, all the technologies we need to build services. We have web services. Uh, we have uh, WCF services. We have everything we need. We will have REST services to Project Extoria in the future. So we are we have everything we need on the server. We yeah. have JSON. We have JSON serializers and deserializers. We don't have anything on the client, but that's a problem that all platforms have. So instead of in, in investing time and research on coming out with a guy or model, powerful model for building a UI, my gut feeling is that they decided to invest more on Silverlight and then reserve to go back to Ajax and complete the work at a later time. So Silverlight. Hmm, interesting. And, in, and the big thing that gets, they grabbed with Silverlight was XAML. Exactly. Silverlight. Okay, now, now which Silverlight we, we're talking let's about? Let's start with 1.0. Yeah, we should start with 1.0. I agree. Let's, start, let's talk 1.0. Well, 1.0 has, to me, nothing to do with Ajax and with uh, the generation of more powerful user interfaces for the web. To me, uh, Silverlight 1.0 is just uh, a tool, a powerful tool, for building declarative animated GIFs. <laughs> <laughs> declarative... Animated. Okay, let's, 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 let's think, just think about this okay. for a minute. What, what would you do? What would you do with a declarative, with um, an animated GIF? You just uh, create an animation. Right. You yeah. deliver a message yeah. to your users, and you do that through a sequence of static GIFs. Correct. Right. Right. Okay. And, and the declarative language here is XAML. So I'm using XAML to create an image. Okay. Now with, with Silverlight One Hole, you have what? It supports XAML. So uh, you, you, you basically, with Silverlight, you put a window, a, a virtual window in your web page right. in much the same way you put an animated GIF on, <laughs> on, on an web page, okay? You have a window displaying, displaying some, some content, okay? Right. This content 
for Silverlight is driven by XAML file. Right. And this is a way better than using a static sequence of GIFs, <laughs> of course. But the purpose, the final purpose is kind of the same. Yeah. And, and your point being, it's not particularly interactive with the rest of the browser? No, no, of course. I, I'm not saying that Silverlight is like animated GIF. I'm saying it's much better. Okay. But the final purpose is not really different yes. from, uh, um, from a business perspective. Silverlight 1.0 gives you uh, the, the, the allows you to reach the same purpose that years ago you would have reached through animated GIFs. So sending message advertising, for example. Right. Right. Okay. So in Silverlight One, the the subset of XAML because it's a small subset yes. of, of WOOF. Can I say WOOF? WOOFA. <laughs> WOOFA. Yeah. <laughs> of WPF, you know, it's a very small subset. Yeah. Yeah. Only the two D stuff. No, exactly. No. You have a two D graphics vectors. Right. Uh, media, of course. And uh, sure, you have a DOM model that through JavaScript allows you to interact with the rest of the page. Right. So, it's so there is an interaction programmable, model. but the final purpose is uh, delivering messages, uh, advertising, delivering uh, little animations. So what you're saying is it's not really interactive. We don't have input. We don't have input. We don't have data binding. We don't right. have a layout. Right. Okay. When we have, and we, we don't have a, a powerful language, compiled yeah. language. These four things, and probably even more, and the fifth pillar would be a, a, a string wrapped version of the .NET framework, should be delivered by the next yet right. to come version so let, of so Silverlight. Let, I think we can all agree that Silverlight 1.0 is, is eye candy. So let's uh, move on to Silverlight 1.1. Now, this is some interesting stuff because you've got managed JavaScript. Yeah, well, you, you're dealing with the issue we've been talking about for over half an hour now, which right. is yeah. getting away from JavaScript. Exactly. Right. With the next version of Silverlight, they call it 1.1, but it could be 2.0, 3.0, or whatever. To me, it's yet another product. Yeah, so, it's totally different. Okay, totally different. So, so with that we, Silverlight, which is not here yet, and it's not even in beta as of the second. It's still October, alpha, you know? yeah. It's still alpha. Um, with that product available, with input capabilities, data binding capabilities, layout capabilities, um, styling capabilities, uh, support for managed languages and compiled languages. Right. Support for a, a, a subset of the .NET framework with an extended support set of XAML tags supported. Now you can actually rely on that JavaScript and just start sending data back and forth in a okay. true client-server model. I think that's what you're going to say. Exactly. Yeah. Today you you can just interact DOM. You can have interactions DOM to JavaScript. Perhaps if you have an AJAX service, you can call the AJAX service and bring data back. But what you do at that point, you cannot leverage today on Silverlight effectively to build a UI. A UI for a line of business application. Right. UI for delivering your message in an animated way. Yeah. And again, the, yeah. the, the, the kind of <laughs> you know, joke with animated GIFs, uh, that's a story. But if you want to build a UI uh, on the client uh, using compiled language, true data binding, true controls, and get performance, the performance you need and the, power, the programming power you need, we have to wait probably with uh, for Silverlight Next. And Silverlight Next, perfectly addresses the two drawbacks of the architecture. Right. The language 
and the application delivery format. We have XAML as the application delivery format, right. and we have any managed language and support. They, and but right now they're talking Ruby, Python. Ruby, okay. You, you, yeah, example, I, you C Sharp, VB. VB, yeah. JavaScript. JavaScript, managed JavaScript, Iron Ruby, whatever. And then, and then on top of that, John Lamb wants to make them all dynamic. So you'll have the dynamic uh, language aspect, and I'm sure that's going to make Visual Studio a whole lot more interesting. Well, yeah, I'm just fascinated at what it's going to take, you know, what is that? Studio 2011 that we're going to be talking about. It's integration of Silverlight. Because it's not going to make 2008. That's pretty much baked. So as, as, as you take a try to look at this from 10,000 feet, you see that probably, again, it's my opinion, my, 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 my hunch, my speculation. The market at some point decided to invest on Silverlight and they stopped investing, developing a more effective model for Ajax. Well, isn't it also that the third-party market has sort of took the ball and ran with it? I mean, look at look at all the stuff that Telerik's doing, plus the other vendors that you said. There's just so many options to choose from when it comes to yeah, Ajax. Definitely. Not only that, the not only that, but there's open source stuff as well. Plus, plus just the toolkit that comes with uh, ASP.NET. You know, the Atlas toolkit, whatever we call it now. Yeah, but it, it, it's still not an option for building a UI framework, a presentation layer for a line of business applications. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I get the sense, I see the... They I, are widgets. You know, there are Yoko, there are from Yahoo, there are... It's JavaScript, smart JavaScript, JavaScript, JavaScript to make your controls reach, richer. Uh, Telerik... So what you're saying is... Option. So what you're saying is, once you get a form with, you know, 50... Input fields, you know, you know, something more complex, it's going to break down. Or you have a great chance that it can happen. So I, yeah. uh, and, I, and I get a sense of this frustration from you that we were right there. We needed one more step yep. to get to the real. We you can, know, we, we, just like you are going to take off yeah. and you cannot cancel the, the procedure. You cannot abort the procedure. You, you, yeah, you can only try to, to take off. If you have problems, you risk to crash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But you, it seems you, like we were right there with the true ground-up Ajax implementation. We needed a few more things, and we've gone to a different direction now with Silverlight. But what is the drawback of using a third-party set of tools? I mean, I think no, that's... No, no, I'm not saying that. Yeah, it's a, I, no, I, no, there's I, no drawback. No, no. That, it's so, not no, a downside no. to you no, know no, no, because no. it's not but, Microsoft. Uh, my, my perspective was building Ajax applications with... What comes out of your MSDS right. subscription, basically? Yeah. But sure, of course, Telerik, but Telerik is another analogous uh, vendors. They are doing so well because they, they are perfectly answering a need uh, of and the it, industry. It, but it does sound like right now you've got to pick your vendor and build sure. their way. Exactly. So, that, that's, you know, that, they, they're not the same. Each one's doing something different. So you have I'm to choose a model. Yeah, you have many options, but. Uh, Different options, and when you have too many, like kids, when they have too many things to choose from, they don't know what to do. Right. right. Well, and I can see the frustration of I really love this vendor's control, but I built everything else with this vendor's setup, and really, I'm going to have a tough time putting the two together. Then the, the vendor con controls from vendors they are so sophisticated right now, then. They require you to, to, to build skills. So, I mean, if you have skills with, say, Telerik, uh, uh, don't expect to be able to switch to, say, component art in just a matter of yeah, the, hours. Yeah, the, they're taking, they have different paradigms of how they, to do exactly, this. Exactly, they're using different paradigms, so you have to, to learn a lot of things. And when Silverlight 1.1 come, comes out, what of all these uh, Ajax toolkits? I don't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know because but I really don't know because it, it depends on what Silverlight next. Will yeah, what, really what the tools are. Yeah. What the tools? Because uh, for sure, Silverlight next has to provide a framework for data binding for features like input, editing, data binding, layout, right. styling, plus support for a, a, a framework uh, for I/O, for example, like isolated storage, uh, connectivity. Call, ability to call web services, it's already here, for example, uh, man, language, whatever. So even a framework, a Silverlight product that has all this uh, underlying uh, low-level frameworks, it, it depends on what they build and provide on top of this. We, we need controls, basically. We need controls. I would be, personally, I would be able to put on my page uh, a Silverlight grid control, and the Silverlight grid controls shows up, has uh, the grid view of today with links to page through to sort or to edit elements in place, but I expect that when I click to page, there is no full ref page refresh, but a request that goes back to the server, to the URL or to the object that I specify declaratively, uh, gives the data back and refreshes the page locally. Sure, uh, just, like a, just like a Windows application does. Then, if it's Silverlight, I can have uh, animation, I can have fading, fade out, I can have smart graphics, but I do expect to have a behavior like this. Yeah, probably, yeah, Component Art and Telerik, they are providing through different me internal mechanisms this kind of behavior. Uh, with, with Silverlight in, on board, I just would expect more uh, stunning graphics, so the grid that rolls up and down that... <laughs> collapses or whatever. Well, it, you know, but we get back to that whole Whippafa debate again of I've yet to see the control suite using this capability. All I see are one-off examples that were largely handcrafted for the for the regular developer who's not an artist who's just trying to get an app built. The tools still aren't so there. So probably the, the, the overall pattern is that I would expect Microsoft to provide a silver-like grid view, right. leaving room for Telerik and for other companies right. to build a super, yeah. the super beautiful, right. super sexy silver-like grid view with additional features. But uh, the normal developer who is not an artist should be able to consume uh, just a little bit of silver-like graphical capabilities through a classic grid view control. Right. That's my expectation. Well, I'm still just waiting for the regular set of controls. Yeah, a regular set of, exactly. But well, it seems like, I mean, you can't really have the controls unless you have Silverlight, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to write them against Silverlight 1.0. Um, so Silverlight 1.0 is, forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Not, not because it's bad. Because it's, no, it's a different it's a dead category product. of product. Yeah. yeah, they immediately superseded it. I mean, with the 1.1, it's such a different model. So it's Silverlight so 1.0 is great today for building little ads. Uh, little uh, message. Great for showing movies. Message. Yeah, the little, the little yeah. uh, media streaming media embeds those kinds of things. That's what it's good for. Got your high def video. I think Netflix uses it, right, yeah. for on demand video. So you, it's much better, probably, uh, not probably for sure, than, than Flash. It's much more usable with more powerful tools. Uh, I use this the joke of animated gifs, but I mean, you know, but yeah, well, it's you know, pretty, but, but that's it. You know, it's, it's animation that delivers a message. Yeah, but, it, but it, the main thing is that concept of an embed that does its embed. message on its own. Now, what about WPF? WPF, uh, we, we talked a little bit at the uh, panel discussion. It, you're a little bit afraid of WPF proper. 
No, I, I, I really don't know nothing about that. Yeah. Just the little few things, uh, basic things. Uh, you know, I, I, I was, I, I wanted I, to I, say I, to you back then that uh, I don't really think you have anything to worry about. I mean, <laughs> it seems like the web isn't a fad that's going away. No, I, I, I don't particularly like WPF, and mostly because I'm kind of guy that I, I need to have tools. Yeah. And the tools that are at a certain level of complexity and abstraction. Uh, that leave some room for further improvement, yes. but uh, don't ask me to build the user interface of any application using XAML. Well, you know, and there's a, there's a funny reality to this, which is if you actually go and look at what it takes to build a button, the graphical process of creating a button with all of its beveling and its push behavior, all but of I those little things. I don't care about that. I just hard. want to put a button here. Yeah, exactly. Think and about then that. give me properties to set level or whatever I, whatever I need or I want. That's true. You know, how many times have you gone to a WPF or, you know, presentation, uh, a session, and they're like pulling up Notepad and showing you XAML. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Yeah, show me your toolbox of great controls and how you drag and drop them on a form and set so up the things that to work. a great application delivery format. Um, just to, to, to give an idea of what, uh, what is the, the right perspective, for me, our XAML, think of XOML, okay? <laughs> which was the, um, the um, uh, persistence format used by workflows. XOML? XOML, yeah. yeah. Uh, in workflow, Windows Workflow Foundation, in the Visual Studio extension for, for that, um, they give you a way to build graphically, graphically a workflow by picking up activities from the toolbox and right. composing your workflow. Yeah, that visual composition. Visually, visual composition. Yeah. Under the hood, the layout, the graphical layout you're building is persisted in either or two ways, either through a designer file, which generates a C-sharp or VB code, a la, a la Windows Forms, or through XOML, X-O-M-L, which just saves the same information using uh, an XML dialect. Right. Like that. So I would expect the same pattern to become available for WPF, where you just have a toolbox of controls, buttons, for example. Uh, I put a button on my, my driving surface, I set properties, I also put other images or whatever inside of a button, because button is a container, that's okay, give me an interface to, that allows me to insert extra elements inside of, as children of the button, right. and then save what I graphically set using XAML. So I don't, if I want to modify my XAML, uh, because I'm so crazy that I want to do right. that, if I'm a masochist, right. I, want, I want to hurt myself. Well, you know, cool. it's also, you know, you hear the, well, you got to know how this stuff works. Well, you know. No. Right now you do, because there's no tools. Yeah. But I think we don't need to know how Win32 works. We don't need to know how to build uh, a calm control. We, you know, we, awful lot of people build an awful lot of programs not needing to know any of those things. Correct. Well, Dino, we're just about out of time here. Uh, is there anything last minute you want to plug or, or talk about? Is there a volume three coming? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is uh, the code reference. To the, uh, it's going to be called you. a trans... What is it? A, a animated GIF. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no. The, um, there is a book coming out, I think, in January. Um, it's the 3.5 uh, update of the... ASP.NET core reference book. Um, just want a couple of words uh, to explain why I'm just updating 
one of the two volumes I have. Um, it's because uh, the arguments covered in the advanced topics for ASP.2 advanced topics, they undergo no They haven't changed, yeah. There are no changes in 3.5, so anything written in that book is still perfectly valid. In the core reference book, I'm adding a chapter on uh, link to SQL, only link to SQL. Okay. A chapter on the modification to the data binding model, including link data source, uh, the list view control, Ajax and Silverlight. Uh, oh, animated GIF, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> animated GIF <laughs> model. And uh, yeah, this is the, the next uh, project, which is uh, half done uh, this time. The next book project is an architectural book on how okay. to architect web applications, mostly web, app mostly web applications, but not just web applications, okay. using patterns, uh, using data access, typically patterns, Sounds good. domain model patterns. And that book is for is later for 2008. So February you'll get the 3.5 uh, update, and then 2008 we'll hear from you again. Okay. All right. Well, our guest has been Dino Esposito. Thank you, Dino. Thank you, guys. And say hi to the Pope for us. Okay. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> I'll try to. We'll do. We'll do. All right. Bye. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.